There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly Podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome, Welcome to, to Twisted, Twisted Philly. Philly. Welcome to part two of the Twisted Prison series about Holmesburg Prison in Northeast Philadelphia. I'm your host, Dina Marie. As if the story of the bake oven murders in part one wasn't bad enough, Holmesburg Prison found itself at the center of another devastating prison abuse scandal in 1974. In the early 70s, a local Philly boy and recent Villanova University graduate student named Alan Hornblum decided to give back to society and Allen volunteered in Philadelphia prisons before finishing his graduate degree. One of the prisons where Hornblum volunteered was Holmesburg Prison. During one of his visits, he saw men, as he called it, strapped and wrapped in bandages. Their heads, backs, arms were covered in bandages and adhesive tape. He asked a guard if they'd been in prison fights, and the guard said, eh, that's nothing. They're testing perfume for the University of Pennsylvania. Hornblum learned medical experiments, including invasive procedures, and testing much more than cosmetics and perfume, were conducted at Holmesburg Prison for over 20 years. Holmesburg wasn't unique. More than half the states in the U.S. had prisons conducting experiments on inmates after the Cold War. Pennsylvania had as many as 10 prisons at one time engaged in medical, chemical, and scientific experiments on prisoners. And why not? What rights do prisoners have? We're talking about rapists, murderers, thieves, all sorts of society's worst criminals. Why should anyone worry about what's done to them? Because it's legally and ethically wrong. Long before Alan Hornblum witnessed Holmesburg inmates covered in bandages, Dr. Albert Kligman visited Holmesburg prison. Kligman was born in Philadelphia in 1916. He earned his undergraduate degree from Penn State in 1939, right around the time former Holmesburg superintendent William Mills was being acquitted of involuntary manslaughter for the bake oven murders. After he graduated from Penn State, Kligman earned his Ph.D. in botany from the University of Pennsylvania and his M.D. a few years later. He chose dermatology as an area of specialty, and he was widely regarded as the man who brought the study of science to the field of dermatology. Kligman was called innovative and charismatic. He coined the phrase photoaging to describe the changes our skin undergo due to exposure to the sun, all those premature wrinkles and crow's feet. He proved chocolate isn't the cause of acne by feeding chocolate to teenagers in a closed study. Why didn't we have those sorts of studies when I was in high school? And it was Dr. Kligman who discovered tretinoin could be used to treat acne and wrinkles, ultimately leading to the product we now know as Retin-A. The royalties from Retin-A over his 50-year career as a professor emeritus at University of Pennsylvania enabled him to donate millions of dollars to the university's dermatology department. For all his discoveries and breakthroughs in the area of dermatology, Kligman's legacy is tarnished by his work at Holmesburg Prison. From 1951 until 1974, hundreds of Philadelphia prisoners were used as human guinea pigs in an array of unethical and oftentimes dangerous medical experiments. The experiments left many test subjects, most of whom were African Americans, 
in excruciating pain and with long-term health problems. Dr. Kligman was invited to Holmesburg Prison in 1951 due to an outbreak of athlete's foot. Imagine 1,200 people all suffering from peeling, itchy, burning feet. Yeah, I'm about to make myself throw up over that description. I'm so sorry. In any case, it made sense to call in Kligman. He was an expert dermatologist, and this was a significant problem at the prison. Years later, Dr. Kligman described his first visit to the prison like a farmer seeing a field for the first time. Except instead of a field, Kligman saw acres of skin. He saw an opportunity to expand his dermatological studies, and in 1951, after treating a prison full of inmates for athlete's foot, Kligman began using them as test subjects. Toothpaste, deodorant, shampoo, products most of us use every day. Sounds harmless enough? These were fairly benign tests. Common household toiletries used by prisoners to determine if the ingredients caused allergic reactions, tests to determine the efficacy of certain brands or combinations of ingredients, and the inmates were paid for their tests. But as we all know, even a product as harmless as shampoo can cause a physical reaction. Different brands of clothing detergent can cause some people to break out in a rash. Some types of cosmetics cause allergic reactions, irritation, you name it. Most women have been there once or twice in our lifetime. We find this fabulous shimmery shadow, dreaming of the ultimate smoky eye. We bring it home, start working our magic, and within 30 seconds, we're flushing our eyes with water because something burns. Makeup used to go in the trash when it didn't work out. At least now you can return it. As harmless as some of that testing might sound, there were side effects. Effects many of the inmates at Holmesburg hadn't considered, nor had they been fully advised about what they might experience by participating in these tests. It was the appeal of cash that convinced many of the Holmesburg inmates to participate in testing. They made more money as subjects of experiments than they did with jobs around the prison. Money for smokes, for commissary snacks, maybe even money for bail. Depending on their crimes and their bail expense, men who subjected themselves to numerous tests and trials and were smart with their money, might have been able to save enough to cover a 10% bond. Even for simple toiletries, though, the tests were more complex than you might imagine. It wasn't a matter of washing your hair with the shampoo being tested or using skin cream on rough hands to determine which one worked better. Multiple varieties of a particular solution would be placed on the skin, covered by a patch which was taped down. The cover of the book Acres of Skin, written in 1999 by Alan Hornblum, who I talked about in the beginning of the episode, features a cover image of exactly this type of test. A man sits on a table with six patches on his back. A doctor stands before him, and in the distance you can see men in line, likely awaiting their turn. This particular inmate in the photograph was an African-American man, and that wasn't unique. While initially the population of Holmesburg was predominantly Caucasian, as it moved into the 60s and the 70s, the population was predominantly black. So the majority of the men who were subjected to these tests were also black. Inmates weren't necessarily told what was being tested on them. Bubble bath, toothpaste, athlete's foot cream. For over 20 years, Dr. Kligman conducted trials on Holmesburg prison inmates on behalf of the University of Pennsylvania and companies like Johnson & Johnson, Dow Chemical Company in Michigan, R.J. Reynolds from North Carolina, and the military. Many of these trials tested substances much worse than shampoo. 
Dioxins are environmental pollutants. They are considered persistent pollutants because they don't degrade. Dioxins can live in the human body for years. Bleached coffee filters contain dioxins, and scientists believe more than 40% of the dioxins in coffee filters bleed through into your morning joe. I would say I'm glad I drink herbal tea, but I only use a tea strainer at home, and not all the time. Every time I get a peach tranquility tea at Starbucks or a chamomile tea before work at DeBruno Brothers, I'm probably absorbing dioxins from the paper used to make the tea bag. Dioxin is lethal to most laboratory animals. It's commonly found in herbicides, and one herbicide in particular, where the word dioxin is referenced, is Agent Orange, the chemical weapon used in Vietnam. Seventy inmates in Holmesburg Prison participated in a dioxin test, although they didn't know that's what was being tested on them. They developed skin reactions, including blisters, rashes, conditions that lasted for months, sometimes close to a year. And that's the superficial condition. And I literally mean superficial in the sense that this is what you saw on the surface, on the skin of the test subjects. That doesn't begin to scratch the surface because significant dioxin exposure can cause liver and kidney disease. It can also cause birth defects and cancer. Dow Chemical wanted to test the effects of dioxin exposure on humans, so they went to none other than Dr. Kligman. Participants were treated with varying dosage of dioxin. Some were coated with concentrates that far exceeded Dow Chemical's own safety guidelines. That was their intent, though. Dow wanted to determine the threshold that would produce chloracne. Chloracne is a horrible skin condition causing blisters, cysts, and lesions on the neck, the ears, cheeks, armpits, and groin. Again, I'm making myself sick. I'm probably making you sick. And you know what? That's okay, because the men who were subjected to these experiments deserve us feeling sick and uncomfortable talking about this. In a 1965 letter from Dow Chemical Executive Verald Rowe to Dr. Kligman, Rowe said the material he was sending out was highly toxic. An oral dose of only one microgram was fatal in lab animals. Rowe added the seriousness of the consequences that might develop from testing with this type of compound require that we approach the matter in a highly conservative manner. A highly conservative manner. So basically, don't say shit to anybody. Considering the EPA didn't find out about the dioxin tests at Holmesburg until 1980, I'd say that was pretty fucking conservative. The EPA tried to identify the 70 men who participated in the dioxin tests, but there were no records. And that was bullshit because Kligman used inmates to keep records for most of the experiments at Holmesburg. Plus, Verald Rowe from Dow Chemical knew exactly what the results of Kligman's dioxin tests were. The first round of tests between 1965 and 1966 at Holmesburg Prison didn't produce the results they expected. There were no negative impacts to kidney or liver function. Nor did many of the subjects develop the cysts and blisters typically seen with dioxin poisoning. So instead of ending the tests, Dow Chemical authorized a second round. This round was to be more vigorous, according to Dr. Kligman. They increased the dosage of dioxin on the test subjects, and this time they had positive results. Positive as in the side effects were present. But there was nothing positive about any of this. When he was asked about the dioxin tests, and the possibility that participants could have cancer a decade after these experiments. Dr. Kligman said, all these people could have leukemia now, a chance in about 1 in 20 billion, and I could get hit by an asteroid when I leave the house, but I don't think I will. 
As hard as this might be to imagine, the dioxin tests weren't the worst of it. Inmates were given near lethal doses of tretinoin. They were injected with staph. They were exposed to radioactive isotopes, benzene, mind-altering hallucinogenics. Inmates received a few dollars a day to participate in the experiments, but you made more money if you participated in the Army's chemical warfare tests. Most of these inmates were uneducated. They were from depressed communities in the city. Neither they nor their families had an easy time of things, and that money didn't just get them food and smokes in the commissary. It helped their families when they got out. But at what cost? One inmate who participated in a chemical warfare test spent hours in a padded cell. Then he was questioned for a while by doctors and psychologists. After the test, he wore a sign that read, Please excuse this inmate's behavior. He can't think or act in a coherent manner. Years after leaving Holmesburg, that inmate had blackouts and fainting spells. He displayed unexplained erratic behavior. He has no idea what was administered to him while he was in that padded cell. As horrible as all of this was, Holmesburg wasn't the only prison running experiments on inmates. It was certainly one of the worst, thanks to the brilliant Dr. Kligman. In 1961, the World Medical Association stated that prisoners should not be used in medical experiments. They did not truly have freedom of choice or free will because of their circumstances. They were coerced. They were incented with money. And what else were they supposed to do? Make license plates or push a broom all day for pennies when they were told they could possibly make $100 for testing bubble bath? What would you do? The recommendation by the World Medical Association meant nothing because American doctors didn't see inmates as people. Physicians didn't see inmates, especially African-American inmates, in the 50s and 60s as human beings. Now, that's not every physician, but that is a large population of the physicians during this period of time in America. Remember, Dr. Kligman even said during his first visit to Holmesburg that it was like seeing acres of skin. All he saw was a resource for testing and making money. He didn't see human beings standing before him. A national congressional investigation into unethical and illegal activities at federal agencies revealed what had been going on at Holmesburg. Prior to 1974, no one really knew because the only information shared by the prison in Philadelphia were human interest stories. There was one article from 1960 in the Philadelphia Bulletin, and it read, the tests have been going on for about 12 years, but got a big shot in the arm when the University of Pennsylvania Hospital's dermatology department became interested in the prison. Two years later, an article praised 100 inmates participating in a military study about the effects of heat and humidity on human skin. That sounds just swell. In the years following the congressional investigation, Philadelphia reporters uncovered CIA participation in the tests at Holmesburg Prison. I shit you not, this is proven. The CIA was especially involved in areas of mind-altering drug tests. They commissioned tests to determine the minimum effective dose to render a patient incapacitated. These tests on Holmesburg inmates included LSD, mescaline, and compounds from hallucinogenic mushrooms. Something Dr. Kligman said in an interview in the 60s really bothers me, maybe even more than any of the other dumb shit he said. In another Philadelphia Bulletin article, this time from 1968, when the second round of dioxin testing started, Kligman said of the participating inmates, 
We pay him to lend us his body for some time, but we predecide whether a test is dangerous, and the prisoner has to depend on our judgment. And that's what the inmates at Holmesburg Prison did. They trusted the judgment of the doctors, prison physicians, and prison officials because they were desperate and they were poisoned. The tests conducted at Holmesburg Prison violated the Nuremberg Code, which our research ethics and principles established as a result of the Nuremberg trials where Nazi doctors were held accountable for human experiments in concentration camps during World War II. There are 10 principles in the Nuremberg Code. The first one reads, Required is the voluntary, well-informed, understanding consent of the human subject in a full legal capacity. Kligman admitted Holmesburg inmates didn't know the testing dangers firsthand. The doctors, especially Kligman himself, made those decisions. An inmate simply said yes to a little cash without fully understanding what they got themselves into. Here's the thing about Holmesburg. It was a city jail, not a federal prison. It was built to house 600 inmates, but most often it held upwards of 1,200 people. There were frequent riots, and in the 70s, the riots were blamed on racism. Not racism as we understand it, but racism as Frank Rizzo wanted us to understand it, which meant everything was the fault of the African-American inmates. In the 70s, 90% of Holmesburg inmates were African-Americans. Most were awaiting sentencing before being moved to another prison or serving sentences less than two years. And when something went wrong during Rizzo's administration, he blamed the black inmates. Instead of blaming the doctors who were poisoning the prisoners, or the prison staff encouraging inmates to participate in these tests for over 20 years. 20 years is time enough for an entire generation to be born. 20 years, Dr. Kligman acted like Dr. Jekyll, and nobody did shit. In March 1991, the trustees of the University of Pennsylvania and University Patents filed suit against Dr. Kligman to recover royalties allegedly owed to them for Retin-A, the wonder drug that treats acne and wrinkles created by Dr. Kligman. That drug was discovered during Kligman's time experimenting on inmates at Holmesburg. The university claimed Dr. Kligman breached his employment by withholding information about his discovery and failure to patent Retin-A through the university's patent office. University of Pennsylvania's patent policy was established in 1965, long after Dr. Kligman started working for them and with them and conducting tests at Holmesburg. A section of the policy reads, the trustees have declared it to be the policy of the University of Pennsylvania that any invention or discovery which may result from work carried out on the university time or at the university expense by special grants or otherwise is the property of the university. Patents on such inventions or discoveries may be applied for in any country by the university, in which case the inventor shall assign his interest in the patent application to the university. The university will exercise its ownership of such patent with or without profit with due regard for the public interest, as well as the interests of all persons concerned. Now, I'm not a lawyer, nor did I graduate from University of Pennsylvania, but that was pretty simple. Basically, if you work for us, we own whatever you invent. Instead of taking his product to the university, in 1967, Kligman brought his discovery that eventually became Retin-A to Johnson & Johnson. The company was aware of Penn's patent policy, and they raised concerns with Kligman. He assured Johnson & Johnson there was no conflict of interest because the formula was discovered on his own time with his own funds, which was bullshit. He also said it was probably not even patentable because the formula's active ingredient was a derivative of vitamin A. 
By 1984, though, after decades of testing, changing the formula, retesting, some of that testing, again, was on Holmesburg inmates, Dr. Kligman signed a licensing agreement with Johnson & Johnson to manufacture and distribute Retin-A, and a patent was finally granted in 1986. So those donations Kligman made to the university from royalties for Retin-A, that wasn't him being a philanthropist. He sort of had to do that. It's a shame those royalties don't go to the men who were subjected to tests between 1965 and 1974, or to their families. Because, you know, a small, little university like University of Penn that only charges $50,000 a year tuition couldn't possibly afford to give up some of that wrinkle cream royalty money now, could they? In 2000, 300 former Holmesburg inmates filed a lawsuit against the University of Pennsylvania, Johnson & Johnson, and Dr. Kligman. And they didn't even ask for much. The lawsuit sought $50,000 in damages for each victim. And yeah, I said victim because that's what they were. And no-cost medical care, as many of these men were now suffering from cancer and other health conditions believed to be a result from the experiments at Holmesburg. The lawsuit was thrown out because it exceeded the statute of limitations, which expired 20 years before, in 1980. We thought that we didn't have a, a case or a way to go, uh, you know, get accomplished for what we went through. But after the book came out, we decided to come up with a class action lawsuit because uh, we, we found it, it's, a, it's a law called the rule of discovery. We thought we had signed away our rights when we were incarcerated, and we found out that the papers that they used was illegal. But when the book came out, it pointed, you know, to the direction that they had uh, misused us. So we came up with the uh, class action lawsuit, but we never, never got through the courts. That isn't exactly true, because in 1984, there were a handful of just a few former Holmesburg inmates who tried to sue the city. Their case was settled out of court, and they each received between $20,000 to $40,000 in damages. That was four years after the statute of limitations expired. It almost feels as if Holmesburg prison were cursed. In 1970, there was a riot among 400 of the 1,200 inmates. In 1973, Warden Patrick Curran and his deputy warden were stabbed to death by two inmates. Joseph Bowen and Fred Burton were two inmates awaiting trial and sentencing for other murders in Philadelphia. They asked to meet with the warden and deputy warden regarding some complaints about prison conditions. They were invited to the deputy warden's office, and immediately these two men attacked the warden and the deputy warden. The wardens were stabbed multiple times and died soon thereafter. Another riot in 1989 ended with injuries to almost 50 guards and over 100 inmates, after men in cell block I barricaded themselves inside with mattresses and other items they gathered from their cells. Holmesburg was at almost double capacity with over 1,100 inmates then, and they were under a court order from the city of Philadelphia to reduce their population. Holmesburg prison closed six years later in 1995. In the 70s and 80s, there were repeated riots and murders, violence among inmates, against inmates, against prison officials, repeated frequent rapes, overcrowding, unsanitary conditions, it was about as bad as it could possibly get, and it wasn't even a federal prison. And today, if you were granted access to tour Holmesburg, which very few are, you would find it to be one of the saddest spaces in our state. It is filled with an energy of despair. I'd like to thank Emmy Sarah for the music you heard in this and every episode of Twisted Philly. You can find out more about musician Emmy Sarah on her website, 
at emmysarah.com and download her music on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. That's it from me. Ciao for now, Twisters.